right, folks, we're back with another episode of Scrimmage Supremacy, and today I am joined by Richie Pascal. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Awesome. Richie <laughs> Pascal of Moonstone Games. And as you can tell, he is quite European. <laughs> Richie, you how are you doing tonight, man? I'm, do- I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, you could say I'm European. I'm pretty much British as they come. So I'm from the other side of the pond. Awesome. Yeah, we, uh, we've been getting a lot of you folks lately. I don't know <laughs> what to say about that. It always seems that the time zone difference is always a big thing. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. And there's something yeah, in the water, I think, at the moment. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it seems to be the crazy thing. Now, so for you folks listening <laughs> in the U.S., just understand what it takes to set this up. If you've never done this before. Currently, it is about 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern <laughs> Standard Time. And, Richie, by you, it's what? It's about 10 o'clock? Uh, make that 11. Oh, 11. I apologize. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so normally they're about, you know, any, well, it depends. Because you guys have like that weird, what is it, the Great British Summertime or some... <laughs> yes, um, it's British Summertime, so that's GMT plus one at the moment. Right, so it's even later than what it normally is. Mm-hmm. Right, that's correct. So, yeah, tr- sometimes trying to get these damn things set up with people in Europe, <laughs> it can be just a pain. So if you're ever wondering in the past when we've talked with uh, people like uh, uh, Martin and anybody else over at like Awaken Realms, we're, we're recording that here in the U.S. at like 5 a.m. in the morning just because, well, Nick and I hate ourselves apparently. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, but enough of that. So you are here tonight to talk about a game that you have been working on with some partners for quite a while. Oh, yes. You have an, you have an upcoming Kickstarter for it, which we'll we get did. into that soon. But the game itself is called Moonstone. Yes. Tell us all about the glory that is Moonstone. Okay. Um, What I'll do is I'll actually give you a quick overview by telling you a little bit of narrative that um, we've recently come up with. So listen to this. The guest knows what the hell he's doing. I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) It's, It's a rare occurrence, let me tell you. Okay, so in the distant land of Torba, the kingdoms of men and goblin have had a long-standing but uneasy alliance. For generations, their people traded in rare stones, minerals, produce, and livestock. But then the moonstones came. Sprouting from the ground in the light of the bright moon, these rocks appeared almost at random and would last only as long as it took for the first rays of the dawn light to touch them before disintegrating like so much dust in the wind. No one knew why the moonstones began to grow and sprout as they did. All they knew was that the wizard's tower would open its heavy doors for the first time in decades and offered a hearty bounty for anyone who could bring them these stones still intact. Across Torba, all manner of creatures began to stir from their hovels and homes to try and cash in on these wondrous rewards. And soon the ties between man and goblin would be stretched thin as the promise of untold wealth drove even even greater wedges into already strained political differences. It is here that I'd like to welcome you to the world of Torba and its fairy tale inhabitants and the whimsical game of Moonstone. Wow, that was like the opening to Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Someone tells me you've read that quite a bit before. Actually, that's the first time I've read out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did a fantastic job. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, um, Moonstone is a fantasy skirmish game that um, is for two or more players, and the emphasis here is on more. Um, It works well with two players, but it really comes out of its own with three or four players. And 
while it is a fantasy skirmish game, it is not your traditional Tolkien-esque style fantasy. Instead, it takes um, influences from things like uh, fairy tales, European folklore, uh, the Brother Grimm stories, and an awful lot of art inspiration from the works of uh, Brian Froud, who was the art director behind the Labyrinth film with David Bowie. And so um, the aim of the game is that um, you're playing kind of like just before the dawn has come, and you've got a troop of characters who can be between three and six models per side, so it's a very small entry level. And you're there trying to grab those moonstones while you can and hopefully, you know, survive while the opponent is trying to do the exact same thing because these moonstones are so, you know, they're extremely precious. No one has any idea why the... uh, uh, Wizard's Tower are actually trying to give this money for these moonstones. They don't know whether they're being ripped off or, be, or, they're, or they're actually ripping them off, but they just know they want to get that gold. So they're trying to grab the moonstones while they can and get away from there before the dawn hits. Nice. So that's kind of the setting of it. And because we've gone for this uh, European folklore style, um, we've got the races that you can play with. You're looking at um, humans who have kind of like a... The, the term we've been using is grotesque look about them. Everything is, you know, all a bit like, like um, dirty and uh, broken down and just, you know, very black plaguey style about them. Um, and they are the figureheads, as it were, of one of our factions called the Commonwealth. And other members of that also include gnomes, who, um, how to describe gnomes, they look a little bit of a halfway house between a hobbit and a dwarf from Lord of the Rings. So they're small, they're kind of cutish looking, but they you know, tend to have big ears and dopey fa- feet and faces. And you know, they like to eat a lot and they you know, are a bit characterful. Um, alongside them, you've also got giants who are less. If if they um, who would that we call them giants, but they're more along the size of say an ogre style. And again, they're very large, um, almost elephantitis in style proportions. So they're still kind of descended from humans almost, but they're not giant giant. Um, and again, against them, we then have another faction who is called the Dominion, and they're the ones who are championed by the goblins, and. Yeah, they look very much very inspired by the goblins you'd see from the film The Labyrinth. Um, both me and um, the rest of the team, we all pretty much grew up loving this film. And it was something that we really wanted to see when we started coming up with those ideas, you know, what do we want these things to look like? That was something we all went, yes, that'd be fantastic. Um, alongside them, we've also got fairies which are not your traditional, you know, running around the bottom of the garden path with little um, um, flowery dresses and that sort of... Oh, no. um, Moonstone. Uh, ...things with big pointy teeth and kind of almost bug-like in appearance. Uh, 
eat you, and they will eat your face if they get the opportunity to do so. And then alongside them, we have the trolls, who are very almost um, nature-loving, as it were. They actually have a um, sort of communication with the stones and the moonstones. Um, I'll be completely honest, a large part of inspiration for that came again from the labyrinth and the character of Ludo, who was one of my favourite characters as a kid. So I'm assuming people probably want to know a little bit about the gameplay and you know, why should they care about Moonstone? And I think, one, so we're looking at things like, you know, what are our USPs and this sort of stuff. So one thing that I need to share, and this is something which um, is something that I'm very passionate about, is the um, main mechanics of gameplay in Moonstone that makes the game stand out. So, um, when this game was first shown to me by a friend of mine, and to begin with, it was just this random idea that he had kind of brewing in the back of his brain, and, you know, he thought he'd give it a shot, show it to me, and I I thought, okay, let's give it a try. And he showed me some of these mechanics, and straight away I was hooked. I was like, these mechanics are fantastic. They are so good, so good. And they're based around these two factors. So the first one is what we call the Arcane Deck. And what it is, is you have, in the game of Moonstone, um, a shared deck of cards. That's called the Arcane Deck. And in this deck, it's split into three different colours. You've got pink, blue, and green. And within each colour, you've got numbers one, two, and three. And you've got one three card, two two cards, and three one cards. So that means there's three threes because there's three colours... And then there's going to be six, twos, etc. And the way spells and ranged attacks are done in this game is using these decks. This, this one deck, and I say it's a shared deck, and it relies on a poker-style bluffing mechanic. And now, if, if the audience are kind of thinking, well, saying, why is he jumping into this straight away? It's because this, for me, was one of the things that sold me on it. And I'm hoping it'll sell it for you guys as well. And what it is, is let's say, just for argument's sake, you've got a wizard character. And he can do a fireball spell. And on his stack card, he has the fireball spell. And the rules would say, fireball, um, any pink card does X times two damage. And what that means is you have your cards and you draw your, your hand your hand is based on um, the character's arcane stats so let's just say for argument's sake they've got a stat of five they're pretty good at doing arcane okay. you drive four you, draw, you, you, you take your five cards the opponent would take six cards because it's always six to block as it were and you look at your cards you see we've got available and the idea being is if it says x times two what that means is it has to be a pink card, because it's already said it has to be any pink card. And then it's the damage dealt by this spell is equal to the number of the card times by two. So therefore, if you throw down a pink three, you'll be doing six damage, just for argument's sake. And, but when you put your card down, you, don't, you put it face down, so the opponent doesn't know what it is. And they have an opportunity right there and then to call your bluff. And if they don't, and they say, right, that's fine, the card is never flipped up, you don't know what it is, and the person at the target takes the damage, and they go, right, there we go. However, if they want to, they can say, no, I think you're bluffing. I don't think that is the card that you're saying it is. 
And that can be done through a number of different ways. It can be because the person has clearly got a bad poker face. It could be because of perhaps you think the statistical chance of the card turning up is low. Or it might be because you've already got that card maybe in your hand when you're, when you're blocking. So like I said, if you're, doing, um, if you're declaring a pink three, you might look at your own hand and go, well, I've already got the pink three, so he clearly is lying. If that happens, if they call a bluff, then you flip the card up and you see whether it is or isn't the card they said it is. If the card is not, so that means the person was bluffing, then what happens is you've called them on their bluff, you've caught them on their bluff, and you can replace their card with any card of your choice that you've got in your hand. That includes the, the rare but extremely enjoyable catastrophe cards. And every spell has what we call a catastrophe. So it might be you set yourself on fire or your weapon explodes or all these sort of you know, bad things will begin to happen. Um, but likewise, if you've called a bluff and it is a bluff, sorry, it, it, sorry it's, not, it's not a bluff, it is the card the person said it was, then what they then get to do is they get to cast the spell again for free using the cards that are, already, that are still in their hand. So if you if you so so as a result of this, it's using so many different techniques and so many different styles. So one of the reasons I fell in love with this was because my friend who um, showed me this, he is a fantastic bluffer. He will convince you that you know you can have the card in your hand, and he'll he'll convince you that the card he's played is that card. You know he's really good at this. I am awful at bluffing. I cannot bluff to save my life. I am terrible at it. You know, my wife beats me in poker with the slightest things. But I am very good at making it look like I'm bluffing when I'm not. <laughs> and so, therefore, between the two of us, we, have so, we had so much fun. Our very first little demo test game thing. Because I had, you know, I had no idea whether he was bluffing or not. But he thought I was constantly bluffing. <laughs> And it was such a great mechanic. I was, it was just straight away, it hooked me in. I went, this is something that other games have gotten close to and near to, but have never actually, in my opinion, actually grabbed and reached. And I went, this is fantastic. <laughs> awesome. So that's one of the main um, core mechanics. There is another mechanic, which again relies on a shared, combat, uh, on a shared deck, and that is the combat deck. And unlike the arcane deck, which uses bluffing and poker mechanics, this uses, um, I believe the correct terminology is a zero-sum mechanic, which is what you have with, say, rock, paper, scissors. So the idea is that one... Uh, so you, have, you draw cards, and again, the opponent will draw cards. And the idea is one card tends to be better against other cards. So just like how you have, you know, uh, scissors will always beat paper, whereas rock will always beat scissors. The same type of thing. And this mechanic is used for melee combat. And so the ideas of these cards, we've got different things that represent what you're doing in melee. So we've got a high guard and a low guard, which represents where you're blocking. Are you, are you blocking high? Are you blocking low? We've also got attacking from above, attacking from below, um, a parrying attack, and an all-out thrust. And they're all good cards, but they excel in different situations, and more importantly, against other cards. So, for example, a parrying attack is best against an all-out thrust. Um, if you're attacking from above, then therefore a uh, high block would be a good um, combat, um, counter. And part of the 
genius of this is that you it's then you're then it's about predicting what the opponent is going to do and playing either the right counter to it or the double counter so you you know um now that is um, made a little bit more easier via a telegraphing system that we have where certain models get certain bonuses from certain things. So you might have someone who, for example, gets a bonus if they're doing a certain type of attack. Um, all this knowledge is public because it's on stack cards that are readily available for the entire game. So you can go, right, well, that, they're more likely to use those cards. But likewise, every model has what they call a signature move, something that's, that's unique to that model. And they are like an upgrade to an existing thing. So you might have a signature move on a parrying attack. So therefore, again, the person is most likely to want to use that. So you can look at that. You can go, right, okay, so they are going to want to use that, uh, that, that card, that parrying attack, to use as their signature move. Well, I've got this card that's really good against that one. So if I use that one, then chances are I will not only deal with their attack, but I might be able to get a post in or this sort of thing to make it better. But at the same time, you've then got the opponent going, well, he knows that I want to do this. So maybe he's going to play that one. So I'll actually play this one instead. That's good against his. And it's, it's creating a, a um, trying to second guess, triple guess the opponent. And it's, to begin with, it's a very, con- I'll, I'll be completely honest, it's quite a confusing to begin with mechanic. And to begin with, when you start playing, it's, you're just basically kind of playing random things. Oh, that sounds like a good card to use right now. I don't know whether it is or not, but you're, you're giving a guess. Um, but then after a few games, you play it, and it is literally probably about from be half an hour of playing, maybe at the most, something snaps and you go, yes, I understand it. And I've got it. I've got it. And it suddenly becomes an extremely intuitive system where it's, um, as, long as, as long as you're focusing, you're paying attention, it, it makes perfect sense. You know exactly what to do. And it, the two together make for a continuously enjoyable game because you're never sitting back just waiting for the opponent to roll their dice. You know, um, we've all had, we've all played games where you're sitting back and literally the opponent might as well be playing themselves. You know, (laughs) this has has none of that, has absolutely none of that. Instead, the um, entire focus is how much can the interaction go on? Because it's not just a case of playing cards and seeing how the cards combat each other it's also about what you know how can you you know can you predict their behavior can you read their face can you tell you know from what's going on and then just to add to that as well as i mentioned earlier we have a great great focus on playing with three to four players um so the game plays wonderfully with just two but it really comes out with shell with three because then you've got as well the uh, uneasy alliances being formed where you can say to, to, to a person you know what I could actually kill you in the next turn. I won't kill you. And instead, how about we gang up on this other person? <laughs> and so as a result of this, it's this continuous back and forth. You're always working. And, um, oh, and of course, it's an alternating action game, uh, activation game as well. So, it's, you know, it's one person has moves a model, next person moves a model, next person moves a model. So there's never any downtime. You're constantly busy doing stuff. And... It was something that I said um, I had. A little, I played a little demo of, and I was like, "This is this is fantastic." Um, 
you know, as, as a bit of a joke in my own uh, forms of social media, I've been referring to this as the future of character-driven skirmish games. Because I have played so many of these character-driven skirmish games, things like um, uh, probably the most famous one I can think of would be something like Malifaux, for example. And this just knocks them all out of the park, you know? <laughs> I'm a big fan of, you know, I was a big fan of Malifaux, big fan of um, uh, Gilball. This just ticks all those boxes and more. You know, it really is. And I think I've kind of gone off on one for a second. (laughs) Let me just get myself a drink. (laughs) No problem, no problem. Yeah, I was just... uh, The the one thing that's interesting to me is the fact that you you have different mechanics in order to kind of reach the same end goal, which is that in every skirmish game you play, which is like, I'm just trying to win. Um, Yes. So, you know, between the fact that you got the arcane deck and the combat deck, it's almost like you're it's almost like you're playing two separate games within the same one where it's like, okay, my magic I want to be more bluffing, my combat I just, you know, I want to try to be as brutal and efficient as possible. Yes. So, you know, in a way it's 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 constantly changing your mindset compared to a lot of mm-hmm. miniatures games where, you know, taking Malifaux, for example, you know, where the the mechanic in Malifaux is that you play a card from your hand, it's numbered mm-hmm. 1 through 13, and, yeah. you know, it's got a suit, and that plus whatever your base value is is the total your opponent has to beat in defense, and then they have the yes. ability to cheat, and you can kind of card count and go, okay, well, he's already played his 13, so at this point, <laughs> like, he might not have those in order to beat this. And, you know, it, it to me, it's a great mechanic, but it also kind of stalls out the game because you're doing – essentially that same action. It doesn't matter if you're attacking, defending, casting a spell, mm-hmm. pulling off some form of a maneuver. Absolutely. It's always, it's always the same thing. You're just yes. doing this over and over and over again. And one of the things, I mean, the game started with the original, the bluffing mechanic. That's how the game originated. And when our head designer started putting pen to paper, as it were, in test building, um, he found straight away that the mechanics just didn't work in melee combat. They did in terms of, is it gamey? But it didn't work in terms of feel. It didn't feel like you had two characters with, say, scimitars swashbuckling against each other. And to add to it as well, um, the main uh, the head designer for Moonstone, he one of his hobbies is actually, um, what is, what's the term he uses? Um, medieval mixed martial arts, which basically means he gets to dress up every week in a suit of armor and hit people with swords. Okay, so he does <laughs> a lot of uh, HEMA and things of that nature. Yes. And so as a result of this, you know, he's very familiar with how you actually will use weapons in combat. And one thing that, you, that really annoyed him in particular um, is how in a lot of games um, you have two people, they stand next to each other, and you know, then one of them hits the other one while the other one just stands there. The next one hits the, other, the first one while they stand, just stand there. And it's this, this trading blows, and there's never any, there's no real risk in doing so because the worst that happens, you miss, and that's the worst that happens. Whereas... The thing with, you know, melee combat in reality is that's not the case at all. You know, you have to make sure you have to weigh up about, you know, are you going to protect yourself? Are you going to attack? Do you overexert your your attack to hopefully do, you know, to to punish the opponent more? Um, You know, and it's a constantly moving, flowing system where it's not just two people standing still. 
And so that's where he came up with this idea of having these cards that represent actual attacks. And how, when you, and likewise, you've got different weapons that are good against other weapons. And so that's where the inspiration for the combat deck came in. And to begin with, I remember, you know, when I first heard it, I was, I'm being completely honest, I was initially a little put off because of exactly what you just said about it being kind of two games in one. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You, I'm just trying to learn this, this first game. Now you're giving me a whole new one in the same one. That, that's, whoa, you know, mind blown. <laughs> right. But, you're just like, well, hang on a second. Just pause right there. <laughs> Back up. What the hell did you just say? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, we all, we all, when it comes to, um, you know, learning new games, we all like to take things step by step. And we go, and we go, okay, I've just got to grips with that. Whoa, we're now something new. Okay, but the funny thing is, like I said, is that when you actually do it, it makes sense. And it actually, and it does have a great thematic approach to it. And that's how it kind of plays out, where you're focusing on the theme, on the cinematography of what's happening. And it really does actually surprisingly work it's amazing and i mean this is one of the reasons the reason i got involved with this as a on a company basis rather than it just being you know two mates playing a game was because like i said i i played this for one evening and and i said this is the future of character driven skirmish it's it's just it's fantastic (laughs) um so yeah so if it's not coming across i'm particularly enthusiastic about this game (laughs) Nice. Yeah, you know, it's always great to be passionate about something that you're working on, too. You know, mm. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with guys that work for bigger companies where they're churning out games, you know, hand over fist. And they're just oh, like, I can imagine. yeah, so there's this, 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 and this. And this is kind of what makes it cool. <laughs> awesome. You got anything else to say? No, that's about it. I mean, go check it out on the page. <laughs> great. Yes. Um, so one of the things that we've been doing is... Um, it's as well as so I've mentioned the game mechanics, and this is you know something that really sold me on it. And we talked about you know what is the future of the game? You know if if this if this game has these fantastic mechanics, it's a shame to just waste them. So rather than it just being a game that we we play ourselves, let's let's put it out there, get people playing it. But most importantly, you, you need to grab the attention. And as well as having you know in you know in innovative mechanics that are you know great and fantastic you need to have visual style you need to have something that will grab people and that's one of the reasons why we decided to go for the visual style we've gone for say this you know this kind of inspired by the labyrinth look of things and um but we weren't sure whether or not other people would go for it you know and so we kind of decided the best way to do that would be to, was to literally dip our toes in the water, the Kickstarter water, if you will. And so what we did was we went to um, some people who we knew, some other um, game designers, and, um, you know, tried to get some different contacts, you know, for concept artists, uh, digital sculptors, physical sculptors, all these different things. And we found a fantastic um, artist um, in the name of Sean Cook, I believe his name is, and a amazing, amazing um, digital sculptor called uh, Tom Lishman. And between the two of them, 
and the main designer himself, they came up with a character called the Fire Spitter. And so we decided to actually I said, test the waters, and we decided to go actually do a small Kickstarter to put the character design out there um, and see what people thought. And at the same time, it also gave us an opportunity to actually go from the beginning all the way to the end through the Kickstarter process. And therefore, by doing it with just a, one model, with an additional model as, an, as a stretch goal, um, we were able to then, you know, let's say dip our toes in it, see where the complications were, and try that if we, you know, if we were, if, if, it, if it was popular, and if we did like it, and everyone else liked it, we would then hopefully not make a lot of these rookie beginner mistakes with a full game Kickstarter later on. So if anyone right. listening is interested, you can look it up now. It's called the uh, Fire Spitter Miniature for Moonstone Fantasy Skirmish Game on Kickstarter. You can probably just look for it by Fire Spitter. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a fantastic one. Um, that was ran back in June, and the has completed now-ish, I want to say. <laughs> I believe the absolute last um, orders are going out either today or tomorrow. Um, so we're kind of pushing it close to the, close to the nose, but um, yes, most people, I believe, have, um, should have them by now. And it was an incredible experience, absolutely incredible, to, to go through that process and to see the lessons that we then learned. And it has, it has definitely been very worthwhile because it means that now we are able to look at this and go, right, this is something we can do. This is something we can't do. You know, this is something we're going to struggle with, so we have to outsource it. And it's allowed us to look at it from a way that only once you've actually gone through the process from beginning to end do you really see how difficult some things can be. You know, people can tell you, and you listen, you go, oh, yeah, we can do that. And then it actually comes down to it and you go, ooh, that's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. What do you mean this isn't just plug and play? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So that was something that was a very, very good process for us. Um, in doing, and we found, well, we expected what was going to happen was that people would get hold of these models. They'd go, oh, yeah, I love this model. It's a great thing to paint. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hobby piece. And then we thought what we'll do is we will insert with it a um, stack card for the model and a little note saying, by the way, you can get, download the rules in beta format or whatever from this website. And we, that's what we expected. We thought that maybe 5% of the people who took part... Now, bear in mind, we had quite a low expectation of how many people would even take part in that campaign. But we thought maybe 5% of them would actually then go and download and look at them. The reaction we received was extremely different than what we expected. Instead, straight away, it was people going, this is fantastic. Where's the game? Where's the game? We want the game. <laughs> and literally just chomping at the bit, saying, we need to play this game. And so therefore, we had to then very quickly get up to speed, as it were, making sure that we had our paper dolls available for testing, all the rules were available. And likewise, if anyone is curious at the moment, you can download the rules from uh, Wargame Vault. So that's www.wargamevault.com. Just do a search for Moonstone the Game. You can download the uh, beta rule book. You can download the Arcane deck, the um, combat deck, standees, um, stack cards, the works. Um, we've also sandwiched a bunch of them into a single downloadable zip file, which makes things a bit easier, rather than to download them all individually. And you can get, you can get started straight away. Um, it's all the latest up-to-date rules. 
And yeah, the feedback we had was incredible, you know, and opening it up and getting the, and the volume of test players we were getting was unlike anything that we could have achieved locally, you know, <laughs> because, you know, we thought we were pretty on top of things in terms of, you know, errors, things that didn't quite make sense, things that were imbalanced. But then suddenly when you've got this through the roof number of people testing it, all these like, combinations you never even imagined come out of the woodwork and you go, wow, okay, we've got a lot, even more work to do, but that's half the fun for us. Um, so yeah, so that was that project. And, it, it was, and we thought, you know, we've got to strike while the iron's hot, as it were. And so that's why, so we're doing our new Kickstarter. And I just occurred to me that we've been talking for all this time. And I haven't even said when the Kickstarter is. You have not. That was actually going to be my next question. When <laughs> are you putting out the Kickstarter for Moonstone, the game? It was going to be on the 17th of October. So Excellent. That's a so Monday. That is next Monday, if, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Awesome. That's correct. At the time of recording, next Monday. And it is running until Wednesday, I believe it is. Let me just double check. Um, oh, yeah. On air checking. That's, this, is, this is performance for you. Um, yes, Wednesday, the 9th of November. So it's just roughly four weeks long. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good sweet spot for a game, especially of one this size. If you start... Mm running it longer than that, and all of a sudden, like, you, you smash to the ceiling, and you're like, shit, what are our stretch goals? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's looking for that sweet spot where we want to minimize the lull that I know that all, all Kickstarters receive, but allowing people to, you know, guess, you know, awareness and the opportunities to pledge. Excellent. And, yeah, so, um, you know, we are looking at... Uh, so yeah, um, it's going to be Monday the seventeenth. Um, we've been very very busy doing videos and things as part of getting this already, um, and yeah, <laughs> it's 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 looking like it's actually happening, which well, I'm sure is for, for the listeners probably you know well why would you be here talking if it's not happening? But from someone who's been involved in this kind of from the ground up and the idea of taking a, a full game to Kickstarter with a full range of models, it's you know I mean, I, I still don't like to refer to myself as a game designer. You know? <laughs> I still see of myself as a hobbyist, you know, a guy. And the thing is, of course, you have to be professional in this sort of such circumstances because you're dealing with, you know, people's hopes and expectations and worse, most right. of all, money, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a fine line between being somebody who's on the business side of it and, you know, it's a tightrope of being the business guy and the fanboy. Exactly. You have exactly. To really, be careful how you approach it and stuff like this. Exactly, and that's the thing. So I'm kind of stuck in the hole, slightly in the middle of both. You know. Yeah, especially when it's like a passion project like this. Mm. Like somebody gets on there and pledges a dollar and goes, "Your game sucks, dick." You know, and then you're just like, you just want to write back, but you know that like it's just going to start a troll war. Yes, it's, it's going to look bad on the whole campaign. Exactly. Like, okay, yeah, our game sucks, dick. I got you. Move on to the next guy. So. You know, it, it, I, I've seen that a couple times with people that are really passionate about projects and they let that one guy or those mm-hmm. two guys get in a Kickstarter, pledge a dollar, and just crap all over <laughs> it. 
I mean, it's understandable because I said, I mean, you put, you know, your blood, sweat and tears into these sort of things and to have someone come around, especially if it is, like you said, it's a, it's a labor of love and, you know, to a lot of people, it's kind of like a second or first or whatever baby, you know, <laughs> and to have right, someone go along exactly. and say, I think it's awful. It's terrible. You should just, you know, just sod off, you know, it's like, well, okay. But, you know, I mean, in my case, for example, you know, I, my day job is working in a degree of customer service. You know, there is an awful lot of dealing with people. You learn that, you know, there are better ways to handle things. And sometimes smiling and nodding is just the best way forwards. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the moment at um, our prototype for our Kickstarter page and the reality that it's actually happening is kind of scary. <laughs> You know, to think that in a week's time, people are going to be looking at this and going, yes or no, I want to pledge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can understand because, I mean, at this point, it's one thing when you're just throwing it kind of out there for free, you know, like putting it on Facebook, getting people play testing it. You get your fans. Yes. That's cool. It's always great to see that. But then at the same time, it's like now I'm asking my fans for money. Exactly. I'm asking for it up front. Exactly. And now, so I suppose while we're on the subject of money, I should probably talk about what the pledges are, what people can be getting with the game. You know, if they've listened this far enough, they hopefully have invested enough in the concept that they want to actually know what is the Kickstarter. Yeah, our listeners usually try to listen the whole way through. They know what I'll do to them if they don't. (laughs) You know where they live. (laughs) In the case Uh, of some of them, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at you, Seth Cook. Okay, so our main focus, as it were, the sweet spot, if you will, is what we're referring to as the starter set. So um, it's a cost of £58, and that gives you everything you need to start playing for two players. And that consists of a, um, a small uh, starter rulebook, if you will, the sort of thing I've been saying to people, the sort of thing, if you're familiar with the, uh, the rule book from Operation Ice Storm from Infinity, something that gives you what you need to get going. Okay. So, will it it's, al- so using that as a comparison, will it also have like some punch-out terrain and things like that for people that might not have it? Um, that's a possibility as a stretch goal, but at the moment, um, we're not a hundred percent sure. (laughs) We're leaning towards no at the moment because of the feedback we've been getting from a lot of the community, but we may possibly switch that, switch that around looking at future. Um, but at the moment, except for that, it literally contains everything you need. So as part of the accessories to it, you get, you know, all the dice you need, you get all the stat cards, counters, you even, you know, you get, as I said, the rule book. We're even putting in um, a nice, you know, some branded, lovely um, tape measures and marker pens, just to literally, it's what you, as long as you've got your table, you're good to go. But then, of course, you've got the juicy bit, which is the models themselves. And in this, you are getting... Two of what we call the starter box, um, the, the two, two of the what we call the troop boxes. One of them is uh, a human group that comprises of a a noble knight character, a ranged sniper, and a very uh, what's the word um, aspiring squire. And against them, you've got the um, a goblin group, and that comprises of a 
a healer, goblin, if you will. However, he is um, dressed with a, what do you call this? Like a black plague quack mask. The ones that look like a, a duck face. Yeah. And um, he's actually one of my favorite models. I absolutely love him. He's, um, his name is Beaky Bobby because of the mask. Um, but he has loads of healing um, flasks in his um, jacket. And he's um, holding his jacket out to say, do you want to buy any flasks? Which, of course, conveniently happens to be in the flasher pose. <laughs> so- <laughs> Which makes it even better. Exactly. Um, we've also got with him... Um, a kind of a, a knight-ish, um, a, a on-foot knight goblin who's called the Vicious Midget because that's exactly what he is. Um, he's quite nimble, fast, and has a great ability to literally sneak around the back of you and stab you in the arse. And then a fan favourite who is Doug the Flatulent, who is a... Um, he's another knight goblin, but he's riding a pug. A pug yes, that's so now, very, very <laughs> farty. <laughs> I saw a 3D render of it, and that one stuck out to me as just absolutely hilarious. And the yes. fact that the pug has got, like, the pug's facial expression <laughs> yes. is just like he's either holding one in or he's just extremely <laughs> irritated that there's this little freaking goblin riding him. And you can't quite tell what it is. Exactly. And just to add a little bit more to sweeten the pot, we're also including in the the starter set two additional models, which are only available via the starter set. Now, just to clarify this, not only through the Kickstarter, and if we can take it to retail afterwards, they will be available, but only with the starter set. And the first of those is a goblin wizard called Grub. And he's a very characterful guy who used to be a, um, a gardener for the Goblin Citadel. And he, used to, and, he, and, and, and he loved his job, and he did day in day, a doubt, and he got very old. And all this time under the sun, you know, his skin got beaten, and you know, he, he longed for his youth. He longed to look beautiful and handsome and young. And one day, while he's tending to his, um, his plants, he finds this old spell book. And he thinks, this is it. This is perfect. This is the opportunity I've got. I can make myself beautiful and youthful and young and amazing. And so he starts casting his spells. But it goes wrong. And he ends up turning into this half-goblin, half-bug-like creature. <laughs> and hence the name Grub. So he looks like he's part, he's got he's a six armed creature with a big beak for a mouth, eyes all over the place. Um, but at the same time, he's wearing this um, very silly, pointy wizard hat because he's determined that he wants to be a wizard. And he's a quite a fun, fast attack character who can, um, because he's part bug like, can tunnel around and do um, damage to people. Um, and so he is for the goblin side um, to make their numbers up to four. And for the uh, human side, we've got a guy who um, is kind of like a very obese friar. He's covered in chain mail with a big club and a massive, massive sun medallion around his neck. (laughs) And because of this... He's kind of, he did have a, a, a name originally, and I believe his original name was Friar Gourmand. Um, but 
it kind of got changed internally because as soon as my wife saw it, she pointed out to his big sun medallion and said that it reminded her of a uh, rather famous rap star with the big clock. Oh, no. <laughs> and so as a result of that, his name has since been changed to Fire Flavius. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to actually reach the print or if it's just going to be an internal joke. I'm pushing for that to be, for that to be printed as his official name. Because, in fact, I'm looking at it, I can actually see, yes, on, on what we've got as our... As our uh, prototype um, Kickstarter page, he is referred to as Fireflakes. <laughs> Does he also have like a loosely worn horned helmet as well? No, he doesn't. Oh, come on. If you're going to do it, you might as well sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is possible. It is possible because, I mean, in his case, the concept art for him was done before the name was done. So, you know, we, he hasn't had a render yet. Sorry, there's, there's still time to push that in. <laughs> Does he have like big garish rings too? Oh yes. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's what that makes them as a set of four. So that's where we're pushing, and like I say, that's got everything you need in it, and there is no expense spared. Everything is the best quality we can find. Um, so for starters, um, I mean, the whole point of the game Moonstones is you're collecting moonstones, and moonstones in the game are actually represented by D4 dice. And what you do to play this, at the beginning of the game, you take seven of these D4s and you drop, you put them in your hand, you put your hand over the centre of the table, about six inches above the table, and you let go. And where those dice land is where the moonstones are. And the numbers on the dice represents how difficult they are to get out of the ground. So that means the objectives change every game. Yeah, so it kind of adds like a, a random... Yes. Factor to how difficult it is to get your hands on these things as well. It's exactly. Not like you're placing them right along the center of the table, and it's kind of a fight for the middle. Or exactly. So centers. sometimes you will have them clustered in one area, sometimes spread all over the place. Um, you know, we've had some games where they kind of just drop into the center and they stay there. We've had other games where they spread all across. It's on a three by three board. And so, yeah, literally, we've had some where they've gone from one extreme all the way to the other. Um, and so for things like these, for example, they to be used in game. And because they're part of the terrain, if you will, or an objective marker, again, it's looking for the great, the best-looking dice we can find. And um, so everything is just going to be as great as possible. Um, you know, we are literally scouring the earth for the best um, suppliers we can find. You know, we've been talking to, you know, American companies, British companies, Chinese companies, the works, and which has been, again, a very big learning experience. And, yeah, we are determined that, you know, the product people get with this is going to be of equal quality to what we delivered with Firespitter, if not better. And um, a lot of the models for the humans, for example, people may be familiar with uh, because um, the sculptor we're using for them is a man called um, Raul, I think he pronounces Traveras, I think his name is pronounced as. And if anyone um, follows, he has done a lot of work for the company Paranoid Miniatures with the game Mythos. So if anyone's curious to see his current in, in work and they, and they haven't seen the uh, Moonstone stuff, they can check that one out. Um, so that's the starter set. Um, tied in with that, you can also get individual boxes, uh, troop boxes, which again contains three models. Um, you can get them in ones, twos, threes, or fours. And of course, the the more the bigger, bigger bulk you buy, the cheaper they become. 
and there's also um, some accessory sets that you can. Not the, the, these are the, um, sorry, well they're add-ons. You can also get some add-ons as well, like I said, accessory sets which contain all the cards and the tokens you would need to play the game. So if you happen to just say, well, I don't want, you know, I want the models and this, but I don't want to do that, then you can do that if you so choose. Okay, so you can a la carte your way through the Kickstarter. Exactly, but we're trying okay. to keep it as simple as possible. So it's the, the pledges themselves, actually, it's quite a small number of pledges we're going for. We don't want to have over, overly complicated. And instead, if you want to expand it, that's where the add-ons come in. Gotcha. Okay. And everything that we've just described is what we're referring to as Wave 1. And our aim for Wave 1 would be to get that into people's hands um, in... That'll be the summer of, of, of 2017. So we're looking at around July, August of, the, of um, next year. Right. Um, we're then also looking at what we're referring to as Wave 2. And Wave 2 is essentially our stretch goals. And this, the plan for the stretch of the stretch goals in Wave 2 is that content would then be put out in the winter of next year. And that includes some of the more... Um, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say interesting, because it's all interesting as far as I'm concerned, but some of the more unusual things. Um, so we've got um, a giant who is a mercenary character and can play for both sides. And he's called Gutchgosh the Giant. And he's pretty much exactly like he sounds. He's got his big, massive belly, ramshackle armor, a little bit dim-looking. Um, very, very fun. Um, most of our, almost all of our models will be cast in metal. Um, however, because of his size, he's going to be gone through with resin. And then we then have two, three box, three model boxes of fairies. And these are ones that, if anyone is familiar with via the Facebook group or anything like that, they have seen them. It's a, it's a very big fan favorite. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this. So we're really hoping we can hit those stretch goals to get these unlocked. Um, after that, we then have the gnomes, and we're also including a um, deluxe rule book as an option, as a um, as a stretch goal. So it's we have the basic rules online; they're free to download. They will always remain free to download, so that people can do that. But if we can get this stretch goal, then it, we get then it unlocks the add-on, which will be a nice, high-quality uh, rule book with original artwork, stories, the works. That's you know everything you know the, the rules and more, and then last but not least is the troll, who is again a very big fan favorite. A lot of people are looking forward to seeing this one. So again, we're hoping we can push through to that one. And that's where we are. We're also allowing for if people want, if people see this and they go, okay, that's really good. I wish I'd have got access to your previous Kickstarter. We're also allowing our previous models that were made available to also be purchased as add-ons through this one. Nice. Okay, so you, you are giving a little bit of fanfare to the people that have helped back you in the first place. Oh, yes, absolutely. Excellent. I mean, we wouldn't, if it wasn't for the people originally, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. It was, you know, so not, I mean, it wasn't just a learning experience. It was also an opportunity for us to actually raise, you know, awareness, but also some capital towards this because, you know, you need. Yeah, there's an awful lot of expense that needs to go through in before you can even run a Kickstarter. Never mind then actually using that. So you know, th- because of them, we were able to then actually do this. And if it wasn't for them and how generous so many of them were, we wouldn't be where we are now. Perfect. 
Now, you were saying before that, like, there's so one thing I wanted to touch on because we, mm-hmm. we, we kind of glossed over it a little bit was the fact that it's a four player game. Now, so far, you've mentioned that in the Kickstarter, it's going to be two factions. Yes. So, I mean, it, it, it's not a four player game. It's a two-player game that just becomes a lot more enjoyable when you go to three and four. Gotcha. So, in a way, it's not you versus everybody else. It, it's kind of a team game? Um, well, you could argue that. I mean, there's only ever going to be one winner. Sure. And so, you, if you're playing three or more, you, will, you tend to have teams becoming established. And but it's it's it's, all, it's always an alliance of convenience, and it's always you're just waiting for the opportunity for when either you or your opponent is going to stab you in the back. And it's it very much works to. Um, I mean, in some cases, we've had situations where one person we've had some say a four player game, and no sorry sorry three player game, and one person you're facing off against, and you go you know what their models they've got with them. I made a bit of a bad decision when I brought along my troop, and actually I can't, I can't really deal with them. The opponent, however, can. So I want to get that opponent on my side so we can deal with that guy because my models can also deal with his. So therefore, if, I, if we can team up and get rid of that one, then I can actually, then I can hopefully go on for the big W. And it's, it's trying to find ways of doing this because, of course, you, know, you don't want to make it seems so obvious because if the per- they look at that and they go, well, I know exactly what you're doing. You're going to try and do this. And then you and then once I'm damaged and I'm a bit weakened, you're then going to come in and you know kick my ass. So, <laughs> so it's again, so again, that's part of the tactics involved and the relationships you have to form as part of the game. And so it's almost like, you know, every part of the game has an element of this meta game involved because it's not just what you're doing on the board, but it's also how you're interacting with the other people. And part of the reason behind that is that, you know, both me and the rest of um, the team, um, which I actually should probably point out, um, the official name we're going by is Goblin King Games. So the rest of Goblin King Games, we all have this shared opinion that that tabletop games in particular are all about what we refer to as the social experience. And that, you know, it's not, we, we don't meet up to play the game. The game is just the gel. It's 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 the, uh, the the lubricant that allows us to, you know, spend time with our friends. And as part of that, that so so that's where this element of this social side of it, in terms of whether you can predict their opinions, whether you can um, also their actions, whether you can tell if they're bluffing, or you can make or you can convince them that you're bluffing or not, and likewise creating and breaking these alliances and being a bit of a sneaky bastard whenever you get the opportunity. It's all part of that. It it, it means that you know you'll be playing this game, you'll be having a you know some beer and pretzels at the same time, maybe a slice the pizza and you just the it just makes the entire thing a, a social experience and it's not just sitting there you know and just playing the game for the sake of it and you know maybe this sounds like i'm being a bit preachy but that's you know that's for me that's the why i play the games it's it, it the, i love playing the games and you know but like i said having that social you know that what I said, social lubricant as it were is such a fantastic addition yeah, definitely. You know, it, 
it's like that with any game, though. You have to enjoy what you're doing in order to yes. be your friends. You're not going to sit down with, like, people you hate and play a game. <laughs> exactly. Well, well some I people mean, do, but... <laughs> I mean, con- conventions, it might happen, but you usually don't figure that out until halfway through the game. You're like, oh, this guy's... Exactly. Pass the point of no return. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that when it comes time to tournaments and things like that, we've all had that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully I've never been that guy. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've been pretty hammered at tournaments before, so I'm sure I've looked like a sloppy mess. I can't imagine that I was a jerk to anybody. Sure, I might have sounded like a smartass, but like I, I, I was cognizant enough to know that I wasn't being mean. Mm. So, <laughs> yes. Might have been leaning on the table a little bit more than what I should have been. But... With your head in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> What's your tactic? And- I'm just going to charge. <laughs> just get into the center and just hit each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been there. That's the season. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you mentioned tournaments. I mean, we've actually planned um, as part of the game as well how tournament play would be um, established. And again, it, it may be, maybe this is pipe dreaming or this and the other, but we're thinking this is a topic that a lot of people are very passionate about and it's something we need to make sure we have covered because you know, it's important. And again, we're looking at um, a clever way of doing this. So the aim we're going for is that in every game of Moonstone, there will only ever be one of every model on the table. And okay, so you, you, in no way will you ever repeat the same model. Not only that, but also it means that the opponent won't have the same model. Huh. How would you go about controlling that? So the idea is that um, in friendly games, it's just down to the social contracts. In tournaments, the way that it'll work is that both players will bring a pool that is equal to double what the play size is. So if the play size is, you know, say four models, they will be... Oh, and that's another thing as well. The game doesn't use um, points. It, you, every, every model is, is, is calculated to be equal to each other. Okay. So it's simply model base. So if you're playing a 4v4 game, then you'll bring along a pool of eight models. So therefore, when it come, if, if you happen to be on the, playing, say, hu, you know, human versus human, then who picks what model becomes a very, again, it's an important almost drafting mechanic you'd, like you have with certain card games. You know, who gets what card? And it's the same type of thing. So you might go, well, I want to grab, I want to use that model and I don't want them to use it. So I'm going to put that one out first. And so it plays by you going, right, I'm going to play this model. And they say, well, I'm going to play this model. And you do it up until the, the, um, the troop size has been met. So the idea being is that because you're bringing along double the amount, pardon me, excuse me, then that means that you will still have enough models that no matter what happens, you will not have the issue of a mirror match. Gotcha. Okay. So in, and in, of course, in a case you know, like that, for tournaments, you're not so much looking at doing it on a multiplayer level because then it could create some complications if yes. people roll up to a table and they're all playing goblins. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, for that sort of thing, we would expect it would be um, a, um, a, two, um, a 1v1 game. Gotcha. Okay, that makes much more sense, because that was the one thing I was wondering. It's like, if you guys were actually going to try to make a tournament-based game with, like, a four-player game. Oh, yeah, that would, that, that, that would be... Yeah that would, yeah, that would have to be a special occasion. <laughs> we, 
two gutsy, gutsy Brits, but you know, I... <laughs> but definitely something to think about. Actually, now I think about it. <laughs> Write that it, down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you credit. <laughs> yes. Hey, we'll take it. You know, this, if, if Nick was on right now, he too, he'd be saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, we'll take credit for that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, so unfortunately, we do got to start wrapping this up. We yeah. try to keep the podcast to roughly about an hour. So yeah. we have covered the game itself. We've covered the Kickstarters coming out yeah. on the Monday after this recording. And uh, I know you don't have the Kickstarter page ready yet. However, Not we yet. will be posting that link as soon as it goes live, and we'll be helping you out with that. Thank you very Is much, there Russ. any other little bit of info, anything else that you want to say to the listeners out there before we go? Well, I'd say the, the first thing to do is if there's, if there's any curiosity at all, and you know, if we are before the Kickstarter, if you're listening to this before the Kickstarter's launched, well, obviously, if it's during the Kickstarter, check out the Kickstarter, please. You know, um, it's going to be called. Just double checking, it is definitely going to be called Moonstone Fantasy Skirmish Game on Kickstarter. So you can just do a search for that, or probably just Moonstone, and it'll come up with what you're looking for. If, however, you're before the Kickstarter started, or for some reason you don't want to look at Kickstarter. Um, have a search on Facebook for, for Moonstone the Game. On that, we have a huge you know, swath of, um, of vendors, of concept art, of all these sort of things, and just check it out and just see what you think. You know, so we've put a lot of you know, effort into the visual styles, and we just think it is so, so beautiful that even if you don't necessarily want to actually play the game, the models alone are just absolutely worth it. Um, so we've got fantastic sculptors involved, a uh, fantastic concept artist, and the tests we've had going on, absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, if people wanted to get hold of us or to search us out, as I said, so you can have a look on Facebook, Moonstone the Game. Um, you can look at us on Twitter, which is at Moonstone Game. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much where we're at. Awesome. Um, we're always welcome for feedback. You know, you know, you like something, you don't like something, you want to try something out, you want to make a suggestion, you know, we're always open for that. And oh, and like I mentioned earlier, if you want to download a piece of copy of the rules, have a look at some things. We've got, you know, I said fully available uh, paper dolls. You can get that from www.wargamevault.com and just do a search for Moonstone the Game. Fantastic. That, that, I mean, you've pretty much covered everything there. I can't say, hey, you got a Twitter, you got, you know, you got all that. You covered it all. So almost like you've done this before. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> you start vetting my guests a little bit more. <laughs> well, Richie, man, it was awesome having you on. I am definitely looking forward to this game. Uh, the models alone and the artwork that you've presented brings back like that whimsical fantasy feel that I really like. You yeah. know, it, a lot of it reminds me, you know, not to like plug other artists, but uh, Tony Dizertelli, uh, he did a lot of the same stylistic artwork where it was mm-hmm. like, it was over the top fantasy, but it still was grounded in what it was. Yes. And that drew me to it the moment that I saw it. So kudos on that. I'm looking forward to it. I know that we're going to have a lot of listeners that look forward to it. I hope so. And uh, we definitely got to have you on again once the Kickstarter's done. Oh, it'd be a pleasure. Awesome. 
Well, guys, this will wrap up this episode of Skirmish Supremacy. Again, thank you so much for listening. And one thing that we normally got to say, we got to include this as like some automated thing at the end of the show, but we just haven't done it yet because Nick and I are lazy. When you guys find us on iTunes, likes are important. Dislikes, uh, they're about equally as important. I mean, if you really hate us, go ahead and say it. However, leaving comments is the best way to expose our podcast to the listeners out there in the world. And uh, so if you get a chance to do that, please like, subscribe, comment, do all that good fancy stuff. You can also find us on YouTube as well. Look at our Facebook page. We'll have all the links there. And again, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.